by God. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Actor's Room. My name is Jeff Tarowski, and we're going to end talking about Mr. Kurt Cobain. This is episode number four of a four-part series, the first ever in my show to go four parts. I felt it necessary because, like I explained in my other three episodes, there's a lot to talk about with this artist. And he was an artist. And if you can hear it in the tone of my voice. This is going to be a difficult episode for me to do today. It's a Friday afternoon. I have the day off. Did some shit around the house. And while I was doing this shit around the house, I wrapped up my research, listening to a few things, interviews, Things like that. About his death. And right now, I am so fucking pissed. Pissed! I'll explain why at the end of this episode. Truly unbelievable shit. I've said shit too many times. I apologize. Gonna try to keep the language, you know, not so... Harsh. In this episode, it's going to be hard not to do that. I hope everybody out there... Okay, let's go ahead. Breathe in. Exhale. Right? Okay. It's a great day, right? Everybody out there, hopefully, having a great day. Uh, I hope you enjoy this episode of The Actors Room. Yes, Kurt Cobain. Not an actor. But... He was an artist who I felt would have done very well as a performer in front of the camera or on stage as an actor. And that's why I decided to go ahead and dive into Kurt Cobain. Not only because I find him fascinating, but he was a true artist. And that's what this show is all about. Yes, it's called the actor's room, but it's also an artist room. And maybe that's what I'll call my show, or change my show title too, because I want to talk about art, artists, actors, so on and so forth. So I'm going to take a a few moments to collect myself, look at my notes and get this underway. In 1993, Nirvana is a strong success. Kurt self-promotes the band by setting up interviews with gay and bisexual magazines. This will be an example of how Kurt Cobain made a point to present his music to everyone, not just a certain group of people. Kurt really wanted everybody, no matter who they are, how they grew up, what their religion was, what they looked like, what they believed in, didn't matter to Kurt Cobain. He wanted them To hear his pain, his strife, his shit, and relay it and have them hear and say, I understand you. I'm the underdog type guy. I'm the guy that's an underdog. You're not alone. There are more of us out there than the others. Nirvana volunteers also. To participate in benefit concerts when needed. 
Nirvana sees injustice anywhere and say there's a problem in another country, they have no problem at all throwing a concert with the earnings going directly to the worthy cause. The band also influenced the fashion scene, and you can't deny this. Back in the early 90s, grunge takes the world by storm. And soon enough, more and more people are seen wearing ripped flannel shirts, jeans, ripped up jeans. Just, you know, you're really laid back, kind of a little bit messy, but edgy. You know, cool. They saw these grunge artists like Nirvana and Kurt wearing these clothes And man, it just looked different and tough. Uh, Kids gravitated towards that fashion statement. They really did. Especially where I lived in Cleveland. They really did uh, influence the way we dressed. Big time. Big fucking time. Nirvana played a show in Brazil in front of 110,000 people. Simply wow. But the concert was a complete disaster. Their worst performance to date. I guess Kurt was a mess. He didn't feel well. So he took many pain pills, liquor, and cough syrup. Chris got so fed up at the end of the concert that Chris threw his guitar at Kurt and left. Kurt and Courtney are fighting a lot. Even in the beginning of their marriage, their friends say, they fought and it always ended badly. So bad, Kurt would threaten to jump off of balconies when on tour. So it was decided to book hotel rooms that definitely didn't have balconies. That's so funny. (laughs) Moving on. Cobain wanted to call the next album this. Quote, I hate myself and want to die. End of quote. This is a fucking fact, people. Kurt Cobain wanted his next album to be called I Hate Myself and Want to Die. This is a true story. Let me say that again. (laughs) True, not false. True story. Okay. (laughs) Chris Novoselic. Bassist, good friend, commandant to Kurt Cobain, said Kurt, Buddy, there is no way in hell we can call our album that. Number one, it's too dangerous. And I get that. You know, Kurt loved the danger aspect of doing shit. He had no fear uh, calling it that. No matter what the repercussions was, he felt in his mind, why not? Let's really grab their attention. But Chris Novoselic brought up this great point. You call the album that? We're going to get our asses sued. Period. So Kurt thought about it, scratched his head, and said fine. They won't call it that. The new album would ultimately be called In Utero. The title of a poem actually written by Courtney. The recording of this album, it went fine, just like they did with the album Nevermind. Their schedule was like this. Noon to dinner, they practiced, ate some food, and then recorded further until midnight. 
Some of the songs on the album are first takes, Chris said. That's, that's fucking fantastic. That's how good they were. It didn't take them long to fucking nail a song and get it on tape. Okay, I, I have to take a second here. I'm quietly uh, in my mind. It's like I'm not even talking. I'm reading my notes. It's like I'm a, like I said in my last episode. Uh, at one point, felt like a fucking robot. I kind of feel like that right now, and I want to get off of that and try to be a little more real in this episode with you, because I feel this to be a very important episode. Not only because it's Kurt Cobain and it's a kind of a cool story, and he's very popular and all that stuff. Get that? But it's important. Period. Because the end of his life, fascinating, dangerous, and just fucked up. Controversial as well. Uh, I'm not quite sure what the percentages are of how people feel about Kurt and what happened to him. But I would love to know. Just to get a poll out there of all sorts of people that are familiar with Kurt Cobain and his death. And see where they Stand on the issue. And of course, after doing a little bit of research on it too. Not just what they've heard, you know, years ago. Actually sitting down and going over all of the things that happened around his death. uh, Who was involved, what was said, and so on. Uh, Because it's really weird is that I have pages. Pages. Of information. Like. Six pages. Before I start talking about his death. And I'm thinking to myself. This episode is going to be five fucking hours. I got to ramp it up. Okay. I got to see where I left off here. And while I'm doing this episode. In the back of my mind going. I can't wait to talk about. What I think happened. Or just talk about what happened. I don't want to do that. I want to also concentrate on other information that led up to this horrible, horrible thing. So I'm looking down at my notes here. I was talking about in utero. And uh, oh yeah, Chris saying it would take like one, just one take for them to nail a song. And I found that to be so amazing. If it's true. Uh, I feel that it probably isn't true, Chris. Like I don't believe you sort of thing. But if he says it's true. Then I believe him. I think that where he's coming from. It didn't take long for them to gel. And get it right. And I like that. Uh, Kurt loved to read. Okay. And one of his favorite novels was called. Perfume. Now he would use this idea on the album. Cobain also read up on Francis Farmer. This is also a fascinating story. If you don't know about Francis Farmer. She was an actress. Really popular back in the day. She lost her mind. She got schizo. Schizophrenia. Schizophrenia. She had that. You lose your mind. Uh, David Bowie's brother. Half brother. David Bowie's half brother. Had it. And David always felt that he would get it. Catch it like a virus. Scary stuff. Kurt Cobain also fascinated by this woman. And I guess she lived in Seattle. So that sort of touched him too. Because he was from around that area. 
and just really did love this story. So much so, he placed it into the album and would also name his daughter Frances. Goes to show how much that touched him. That story. Heart Shaped Box is the best song on that album. Well, to me, it is anyway. The song was based on his relationship with Courtney and how painful it was. Just listen to that song. Just listen to it. They actually collaborated, the both of them, to write it. It was painful for Kurt, and it should be. I want to remark that at this time, in the life of Kurt Cobain, he looks really skinny to me. Pictures I see performing at this time. I mean, I know he was skinny. You know, I'm skinny too. Sometimes you just look skinny or skinnier in some pictures, you know. If you're a little overweight and you see a picture of yourself and you go, Oh my God in heaven, I got to cut back. Or, you know, <laughs> sometimes I'll see pictures of myself and I'll go, Oh my God, I got to start eating more. Same thing. But I'm seeing pictures of Kurt at this time thinking... He just looks, you know, skinny, yes, but like a sickly kind of skinny. And I think heroin was taking over at this point. His stomach was bothering him so much that he couldn't stand it anymore. He decided to use heroin as medicine because it would dull his stomach pain. It's really damn sad, but it's really damn true. But I want to point this out before I move on. Kurt would eventually find a doctor. Later on, they diagnosed his stomach ailment. Cobain just said he had general stomach issues and uh, was on a medication, and it got rid of the burn. And this was about a year before he died that it started finally feeling better. Poor guy. At least he had a year of no stomach pain. But Kurt Cobain was using way too much heroin at this time. And it was before this album that his daughter Frances was born. Little Frances Bean. She would be present at the studio as a baby when Nirvana was recording in utero. She was so small, adorable, adorable little girl, this girl. Frances Bean, when she was a baby, she had chunky cheeks. I mean, she, fucking cute kid. I think that Kurt felt horrible. He was using around his daughter and he was he'd be off of it for a little while but he was still a user it's just not a good look being a father and Courtney would even comment on that simple fact she had cleaned up her act when she got pregnant for the most part she says she did take heroin when she was pregnant but I'm not sure If she took heroin when she knew she was pregnant. Okay. And if she did, holy fucking shit. That is one of the most fucked up things I've ever heard. If she did heroin when she knew she was pregnant. Wow. But I, in my heart, my heart. I believe that she was doing it. She didn't know yet. But when she found out she was pregnant, she stopped. People were afraid that Francis would be born 
disfigured. Kurt did too. He was petrified that Francis would come out disfigured. A mess. He believed it and was nearly passing out, reeling, while Courtney was giving birth. But it didn't happen. She was a beautiful, healthy child. Uh, it is rumored, okay, nurses say, she, the baby itself had to be weeded off a little bit. But if Courtney was doing heroin, like she said, while that kid was in the womb, it could have been in her system. It could have, even way back then. Uh, very sad. And because of this, like they took the baby away from them when the kid was born. Deservedly so. If there is any indication at all that the parents are heroin users and pretty bad ones, they're going to take the baby away until they feel that the parents are ready to take on that child and the responsibility of raising that child in a comfortable, safe environment. And this is what happened to Kurt and Courtney. The Kurt Cobain little family recorded some precious moments between them. And I mean like a video recording. Frances Bean was a cutie and they gave her lots of attention. You can see it in the videos. And the, I've seen these videos because I watched the, uh, the documentary done by uh, Courtney Love called The Montage of Heck. Or I'm sorry, just Montage of Heck. I enjoyed it. Great footage in there. Seeing Kurt when he was little. Uh, seeing uh, uh, Frances when she was a little baby. And Kurt playing with her. And Courtney playing with her. And they're a family. And there's actually a scene of footage in, in the movie is uh, a little weird because Courtney is naked in the tub. She had no problem at all being naked, by the way. Uh, She loved to show her tits. I remember my buddy said he went to a whole concert back in the 90s when uh, they were first coming up. And he's like, Jeff, man, this concert was great. I'm like, wow, excellent. I wish I could have been there. And he goes, Courtney Love did like half the show. With her top off. I said you gotta be fucking kidding me. He goes I'm not fucking kidding you. She ripped off her shirt. And we're like holy shit. <laughs> so she had no problem at all. In the documentary too. You see footage. She's lying in the tub with the baby. Bathing it. You know she's naked. The baby's naked. Really weird. But Kurt's there too. He's uh, behind the camera. Videotaping this scene. And they're just, you know, splashing around in the water. Real serene. Just a family being a family. Like any family would do. And Courtney says something like, I'm really happy. And I'm, I, I really believe, I believe her when she said that. She goes, Kurt, I'm, I'm really happy right now. And Kurt said, yeah, me too. Very touching scene in the documentary. Montage of heck. Mind you. This documentary was done by Courtney. Very biased. Very biased. There are things in that documentary that plainly are not true. I did my research on this. Doing this episode of Kurt, want to make sure facts are pretty much, you know, presented and done in the right way. You watch this documentary. Don't take it to heart. There are things in there 
Not true. For example, Kurt did not try to seduce a fat girl. Okay? That was slow and everything. He, he says that he attempted to seduce her. Changed his mind because she smelled weird and left. And that the story got out and they picked on him for it. They called him retard fucker, something like that. Didn't happen. He also, I guess in the documentary, it is said, okay, that he got so depressed about all this, being picked on and everything, uh, just being lost and, you know, him being a kid, being an alien, feeling like one. He thought about suicide. He brought himself up the courage to uh, walk down at night to the railroad tracks. Laid down on the railroad tracks. And have the train just run over him. And the train came. And it veered off on the other track. He picked the wrong track. And felt to himself a lucky day. Once again. Bullshit. Didn't happen. Buzz Osborne has said. Watch the documentary. Oh boy. Lot of bullshit. In that thing. Buzz Osborne was around Kurt when he was a teenager. Very young. While he was in high school, Kurt Cobain hung out with Buzz Osborne in his band, The Melvins. He was addicted to that scene. Kurt was. And Buzz himself said he was close to Kurt at this time. And not at all, ever, hearing stories about this. He was close to the town. If anything like that happened, Buzz said he would have heard about it. Plus the fact, that's just the way Kurt was. He told stories to get a rise out of people. To kind of grab them. To make shit up. Because that's what he did. He liked getting a rise out of people. See how people reacted to things he said he did. For instance, when he was a child, a teenager also, he had a really good friend, which was rare for Kurt. But he did find solace in the friendship of someone in town That was gay. They connected. And being close friends with this gay guy. Made not only his friends at school uncomfortable. Or the kids at school uncomfortable with him. But his own mother, Wendy. Was uncomfortable with the fact. He was hanging out with a gay person. Kurt scratched his head at this. Said, oh my god, what is going on? And he had to break off his friendship with this guy. He felt really bad about that later on. That he did that. But he felt a lot of pressure around him. Goes to show you how things are in the world. And wouldn't you know it. Kurt Cobain's sister. And I forget her name now. God damn it I'm sorry. I can't think of it. Oh shit. Anyways. She's gay. There you go. And that's something. (laughs) Okay. I am going to go ahead and look at my notes here. See where I left off. Here we go. The album In Utero was well accepted, but not by the executives. It was well, let let me correct that. It was well accepted within the band, but not the executives that heard it when the album was finished. This worried the band. Kurt wanted to be proud of this. I do believe that. But he just couldn't. Because the executives didn't like it. 
they felt their music careers could be damaged by this album. The art collage on the back of the album was scattered with images of unborn babies. There it is again. Kurt, his fascination with babies. During one of their shows, Cobain got up on one of the amps, a big amp, and jumped on David Grohl and his drum set. I mean, he fucking leaped on them. It was such a sight to see. No damage was done, right? Kurt got up and simply walked away. Kurt injected at one time $30 worth of heroin into his little body. He was at a friend's house. Just wow. $30 worth. That's a lot of heroin. This was an unhappy man. He was rushed to the hospital. An intervention was next, but Kurt didn't want to go. He's arrested a few days later and spends three hours in jail for alleged domestic assault. $950 bail. And then charges are dropped. A man named Callie DeWitt was Francis' Bean's nanny. I guess Callie was an ex-boyfriend of Courtney. Interesting choice here. I don't know how comfortable I would be if uh, my wife and I decided to get a nanny and she picks one of her ex-boyfriends to watch my kid. Um... Ah! (laughs) Weird situation. Am I right? That's fucking weird. Oh, well, this nanny, Callie, was claimed, has claimed, sorry, that he doesn't believe that Kurt Cobain hit Courtney. No way, he says. Kurt would get vicious, he says, but Courtney would provoke him. Make fun of him to the point Where he would explode. He just couldn't take it anymore. Their fights were horrible. Callie said. It was further said. That Courtney loves drama. She enjoyed. Being yelled at. I want to bring up something. I saw a documentary called. Kurt and Courtney. If you've never seen it. Fucking see it. This documentary. It doesn't get enough credit folks. It was done in the cheapest of ways, but there is some really great information in there. And I'll tell you one of them. One of Courtney's exes, way back in the day, this guy was a lead singer in a band. The band, not big, but on their way, a little successful. Well, Courtney hooked up with this guy and devoted her life into trying to make this guy a rock star, a big star. She dressed him up. And told him how to act. She was in complete control of this guy. She felt that to make it, you had to ride the coattails of men. So that is what she tried to do back then. 
they're interviewing this guy, okay, this ex-boyfriend, and he was obviously, or had obvious content for Courtney. He wails on and on, blah, 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 and just wouldn't let up on her at all. I mean, it got so bad in the interview that, like, he starts, like, look, like walking around and pacing. I mean, it was quite incredible. When you do research on people in her past that she spited, I mean, they are just enraged talking about Courtney. And what's really interesting, too, is her own father, Hank, her own father, <laughs> like, talks shit about her. Like, he is so done with her. He's written books about it. I mean, he's, like, it, even he, like, gets this look on his face. Like, you know, don't cross me, Courtney. Sure, her own father says this about her. It's quite amazing. But anyways, getting back to this ex-boyfriend, by the way. Okay. This is some interesting stuff. Okay. He's like, it got so bad between the two of us, me and Courtney, and like how she was controlling my life and wanting me to make money and be a star and be this big star. That's all she cared about. It was driving me crazy. It got so bad. I didn't want to be in the band anymore. She ruined it for me. She ruined my career. Because she made me hate being in a band. And I was like, I'm done. The guy even explains that Courtney Love had a short list and how to make it in the business. One of her goals on this list was to become friends with Michael Stipe of R.E.M., The guy even kept the paper she wrote this on. And you could see her list of things she felt she had to do to make it. And one of them said, become friends with Michael Stipe. And the boyfriend, the ex-boyfriend looks at the list. He goes, look at that. And she does it. And he goes, you got to give her credit though. I mean, really. I mean, she goes out there and she became friends With Michael Stipe. And he goes, you gotta love her, right? And then he looks at the camera and goes, no, you really don't. (laughs) This guy was hilarious, by the way. And I believe him. The passion he spoke about her. The fact that, like, she pretty much ruined his career. And, like, how she was driving him insane. And felt to himself that if he continued on with her, And didn't break up with her. That he would have fucking shot himself. Like Kurt Dick. That's what he said. Fucking incredible. You gotta see this doc. It's called Kurt and Courtney. And wow. Do you get to see some interesting things. Makes you scratch your head man. Really does. I mean it really does. It took... 92 weeks, 92 weeks until Nevermind left the charts. Simply incredible. A successful album. Cobain made changes to the band. With all the screaming in his singing, he decided to calm it down and concentrate on a chamber music feel. 
he felt it wouldn't last very long, or he wouldn't last very long, if he kept going in the same direction. He also incorporated another guitar and also a cello to go along with their music. There was another near overdose for Cobain. The nanny Callie found him with the needle still in his arm. He wasn't breathing, so the nanny punched and smacked Cobain. After a few minutes, Kurt coughed. That was a bad one. They were scared, so they got him up and had him walk it off on the streets of New York City. And he had a show that night. He didn't miss it. It was surreal, they said. Four hours previous, the guy was dead, not breathing. And there he was, up on the stage, doing his thing. Quote: If the crowd only knew what happened. Wow. It was really scary. End of quote. The shooting of the video for Heart Shaped Box took place right around this time. What a sight, and what a sound! Kurt had all the details worked out for the video. He had them all down on paper, all the ideas with drawings and notes. This was his baby. Courtney was really giving it to Kurt, though. Just being aggressive and domineering, she was telling him that this video was super important. Don't fuck it up, Kurt. Jeez, take it easy there, Court. <laughs> I'm, you know, I think I'm doing pretty good on my own here. You know, doing a successful band, doing all right. Get off me, bitch. I'm sure it sounded something like that. Courtney sounds lovely, doesn't she? She does. It gets better, though, later on. Just wait. Now, from my research, <clears throat> Kurt was getting so fed up with this fucking yelling, screaming, and telling him what to fucking do. Kurt didn't like people telling him what to do. He just wanted her to lay off. She told him he had to look good in the video, look handsome, look sharp. And the fight continued. She wouldn't shut the fuck up. It got so bad and frustrating for Kurt that he took a cigarette, lit it, and put it out on his forehead. There! Do I look good enough for you now, bitch? Good for you, Kurt. That's what he said. Put a fucking cigarette out. On his forehead. <laughs> if you notice in the video of Heart Shaped Box, his hair is covering his forehead. Why? Because he had a big fucking scab right in the middle of his forehead. And also, if you notice, there is like a, a big strand of hair they had either glued or taped to his forehead. It wasn't moving. And they weren't going to show the fact. He kind of looked like Gandhi up there. I didn't mean if I I didn't mean to you know disrespect Gandhi, but Gandhi, you know the the uh, religion they have the dot right there. I'm like not making fun of it. 
Although I'm going to tell you, when we were kids, we did. Kids are stupid. I'm not making fun of it now. I matured. I grew up. But back in the day, we did. You know why? Because it was different. That's why. Anything different out of the norm of normal reality, it gets picked on by kids. Sometimes adults too. Uh, Some adults never grow up. They don't. Most do. Some, no. The album In Utero was limited in its release to the public because of the images of the back cover in the song titled Rape Me. Nirvana decided to change the back cover and also changed the song to Wave Me. Didn't know that. <laughs> they wanted anyone to be able to purchase the album. They felt that, you know, like a kid walking into Walmart couldn't buy their album because they were too young. They didn't want that. So they obliged. Uh, they changed the artwork, made it more appropriate, and changed Rape Me to Wave Me. Kurt met Michael Stipe right around this time. I guess Stipe was at a mutual friend's house playing pinball there. Kurt and Courtney showed up. Stipe was stunned when Courtney threw herself down the stairs and into the room Stipe was in. She fake fell down the stairs, rumbling, bumbling, and stumbling, making a scene. What an entrance. And what a goofball. Kurt and Michael actually became pretty good friends after this meeting. They would even play around with the idea of collaborating and doing projects in the future. If Kurt would have lived, I truly believe that Stipe and Cobain would have done some great work. Some really good work. Nirvana the band is in trouble. They go on tour to promote In Utero. And they do it traveling in two separate buses. On one bus is Kurt and Pat, the new guitarist. And on the other bus is everyone else. Kurt was openly talking about how displeased he was with David Grohl. You know, and I always felt there was tension between the two of them, Grohl and Cobain, artistically. It always seemed to me, too, that Dave really did want to break out and do his own shit eventually, anyway. And he did. And formed one of the most popular bands also ever. The Foo Fighters, right? I mean, he did. He did it. Good for you, Dave. I mean, really. I mean, he knew what he was fucking doing. I mean, from what I gather through my research, he was writing songs, like, when he was with Nirvana. He was. He was preparing himself to go out on his own. I think Kurt knew that, deep down. All right? Um, Grohl... I truly believe he was honored to be in the band, right? But this was Kurt's band. And Dave knew that. And Kurt made it clear, okay, when he demanded to have more percentage of the earnings the band made at one point. Now, this was encouraged by Courtney. Courtney brought this up. She's like, Kurt, you write the songs, right? And you're the lead singer. You should get more money, right? So I guess Kurt agreed to this. This notion. It it seemed like through my research, what I gather is that before this, everything was split evenly with the band. But not anymore. And this would put 
the band on rocky ground. Okay, because of course, like Dave and Chris, they're a little put off by this. Courtney was difficult. Period. This placed a wedge between Kurt and Chris. Chris's wife and Courtney didn't get along. This was a problem. Chris Novoselic wasn't even invited to Kurt and Courtney's wedding. So that's saying something. Let's just say that the band was in jeopardy of breaking up. Kurt felt there needed to be drastic changes. He even toyed with the idea of quitting music for a while. He was just exhausted. Kurt did get to meet one of his dearest idols, novelist William Burroughs. They had actually completed a project together called The Priest They Called Him. But now they were actually going to meet. The project they did similar, right? They did in their own time, and then it was put together. But Kurt was actually going to meet him now. Kurt was so excited. They talked the entire time until Kurt had to leave later on that evening. Burroughs had this to say about Cobain after he left. Quote, There's something wrong with that boy. He frowns for no good reason. End of quote. Then Kurt and Nirvana decided to accept the invitation to perform for MTV Unplugged. This is a treasured event for me, personally. I remember when it came out, and I still love it today. Some of the best acoustic performance ever. And Kurt's light showed bright. He was actually battling drug withdrawal at this time. He would be off of drugs, then on again. Mostly on. But he did try. Every now and then. MTV gave Nirvana a hard time from the start. They only wanted Nirvana to play the hits. Kurt doesn't like people telling him what to do, right? And he wasn't happy. The stage was decorated by Kurt. White lilies and black candles. Everywhere. One of the producers said, Uh, okay. You mean like a funeral? And Kurt replied, Exactly. Just like that. Like a funeral. You can see the emotion in Kurt during his performance. And it's truly incredible. It's there. He's there. And it's real. It was his landmark artistic act. It was for everyone to see. Cobain himself even nudged his friend at the after party with a small grin on his face. Quote, I was pretty good tonight, wasn't I? But he was in so much pain, emotionally and physically. Kurt was absolutely convinced that Courtney Love was cheating on him. And he was pretty sure it was Billy Corrigan. She just couldn't let Corrigan go. And Kurt was devastated. Courtney denies this and said she only thought about it. Not doing the actual cheating, but she thought about it. 
Kurt for sure thought it was real. Kurt and Courtney recently bought a mansion in Seattle. A very nice house, by the way. Seen pictures of it and everything. Gorgeous house. Kurt was uneasy about it, though. Do we really need all this room, really? But she convinced him. So he did. There was a lot of pressure on Kurt to play Lollapalooza. And he didn't want to do it. They did a recording at a studio for the weekend. Chris and Dave showed up on Friday. So I guess Nirvana, you know, going rocky times, really not getting along very well. End might be near. But they decided to uh, buy some studio time over the weekend and just jam. Nothing specific. Just have them get together. Play together. Just jam together. So I guess uh, Chris and Dave showed up on Friday. Okay? No Kurt. (laughs) Uh, Kurt was nowhere to be seen. Saturday came. No Kurt. So, you know, Chris and Dave did their own thing. Uh, I guess Dave actually did a few recordings of his own. Big surprise. Uh, He's getting himself ready, man. He knows shit's going down. You know, he's like, I'm getting ready. Things don't look good. Might as well start working on my shit. He put down a few songs. Dave did. Sunday came. Sunday came. And Kurt finally showed up. Brought no gear. But someone had an extra guitar. And loaned it to him. The band jammed together. And they did it well. It was a success. Only three takes. And they had something. Something new. They even joked around afterwards. Reminiscing about the past. Then came another European tour. Courtney didn't come. She didn't go to Europe with him. And he was concerned. He phoned her and they fought. He was sure she was cheating. And he was also homesick. He was so worried, said Grohl. People were talking around him and through him. The band wasn't talking much again. Chris was sad about Kurt's state. Chris truly did love Kurt. I mean, he really did. He was there from the very beginning. They were pals. They went through this journey together, the two of them. Chris and Kurt. And Chris was seeing his friend just unhappy. A mess. Courtney was driving him crazy. And he saw his friend in pain. And he was bothered and concerned. Kurt called up the nanny. You know, Callie, the guy nanny. (laughs) He straight up asked him if Courtney was cheating on him. And Kurt was serious. I mean, no bullshit. He wanted to know. And Callie being there uh, saw a lot of shit. Kurt and Courtney fighting. Uh, Mostly this guy didn't take sides. But, you know, he knew the scoop. And Kurt pretty much figured that if uh, Kelly, you know, knew what was going on, that he would tell Kurt. And Kurt straight up asked him, is she cheating on me? And Kelly thought, uh, <laughs> he was pretty sure that she was, but he wasn't positive. And he didn't want to tell Kurt 
well, I think that she is. Because it's almost saying like she is, but he wasn't 100% sure. So he said he didn't think so. (laughs) Right. Not sure if Kurt believed this, right? But the tour went forward and Kurt looked out of it. It was Kurt and Courtney's anniversary. And they were apart. Kurt would just lay on the sofa. Sad. Concerned. Gloomy. He wanted to cancel the rest of the tour. What's the point? He said. Their final show was in Munich. On the phone with Courtney again. In another fight. As soon as Kurt hung up the phone with Courtney after this one conversation, he quickly phoned his attorney and said he wanted a divorce. The honeymoon period in Kurt and Courtney's relationship was long gone. Kurt soon realized that she was really not the companion for him. And he was so torn Because his own parents' divorce ruined him. And he would hate. Absolutely hate. For Francis to go through the same shit. Parents fighting. Just like his did. Over and over again. The fights. The animosity. The anger. And then the tears. And he saw this. In the future. For Francis. He was devastated. Pissed. That him and Courtney. Weren't working out. And that he would have to make that decision. He didn't want to make that decision. But he felt. That if he didn't. He would lose it completely. Everything. It was sad times. It really was. So, Kurt had an idea. Okay? When uh, the band finished up in Germany, everybody went their own ways. Kurt stayed in Rome. Courtney would be coming to Rome with Francis. Cobain had a plan. He was going to make this right. One more chance. Romance was needed to make everything okay again. He was going to wine and dine Courtney. The room was all set up. There were flowers everywhere. Kurt said as she walked in, I missed you so much. Then she took some pills and went to sleep. Getting angry. He wanted to make love to her. And she wasn't in the mood. Wasn't in the mood. Okay. Um, what the fuck does that mean exactly? Uh, they hadn't seen each other in quite a while. Uh, they were apart. Uh, Kurt was touring with the band in England and Europe, I mean, everywhere. Okay. And she was back home with the kid. What was she doing over there? Where she wasn't in the mood to uh, 
you know, make love to her husband, who obviously, I guess, wanted to be with her. She declined him. That had to hurt, not a little, but a lot. He was crushed by this denial. So the the rumor is she was asleep. And Kurt being so sad, uh, he began to drink. And that's kind of rare for Cobain, actually. He wasn't a drinker, okay? Like uh, Chris Novoselic uh, says that, you know, uh, you know, I drink beer and wine and liquor or whatever was uh, available to me. And I drank that and I was okay. Kurt, uh, his diversion was heroin and the hard stuff. And that's just reality. So I just wanted to point that out. That Kurt, you know, he had a few drinks to numb his pain. And took some uh, very strong pain relievers. And at 5 a.m., Courtney woke up and found Kurt on the floor with blood coming out of his nose. He was rushed to the hospital. And he laid unconscious for a period of time. I believe for about five hours. Kurt Cobain was unconscious because of this for five hours. It was bad. It was a bad reaction. Pain pills in the champagne. Courtney claims he left a suicide note and said he couldn't live without her. But there are questions about this note and if it ever existed. She says it's a suicide note. And it's gone. It was never collected by the police. And Courtney claims that she had this note and wanted to give it to the cops. And she says. The cops said. No. What I think you should do with that. Is destroy it. Number one. A cop would never tell you. To destroy evidence. So when asked about this. Courtney says. The cop told her. That. The reason why you should destroy it. Is because. There's not nice things in there. Wow. That's a really bad excuse. What a horrible lie. That is. I don't even think this note existed. This would go on to place little nuggets of information by Courtney about Kurt and how suicidal he was. This incident in Rome, though extremely bad, okay, there are questions about what he took, uh, how he took it, how it was taken, uh, a lot of things. And it's, it could have been an overdose, plain and simple. Kurt was really depressed that night. Took too much shit, he'd done it before, and got really sick. So sick, five hours, man. That's a long time. And people say that are close to Kurt, when he woke up <clears throat> from that little coma, he was never the same. That uh, he might have done damage to himself after that incident. Um, but before I move on, I want to point out that there are people out there that believe that Courtney spiked his champagne. This is not me. This is not me. I heard about this, did a lot of research, folks. I did a lot of research. It's possible. Courtney. 
spiked his champagne. They found traces of a drug. I don't remember the name. It was some weird name. I, I didn't even write it down because I can't even fucking pronounce it. Anyway, they found traces of this drug mm-hmm, in Cobain's body. Okay. When he overdosed or the attempted suicide. Okay, that he usually didn't take or not at all. Food for thought. Cobain returned to America and nothing changed. His wife was difficult and pressured him to make more money. Do it for your daughter, she would say. That was always a good one. You know, putting the daughter thing in there. Do it for her. The weight of the world was on Kurt's shoulders. Chris claims... He felt Cobain had suffered brain damage in Rome. He wouldn't listen to anyone. Brain damage or not, Kurt wanted to leave. He wanted to leave Courtney. He wanted to leave the band. He was fucking done with everyone. His father, Donald, came back into the picture. How about that? They were talking again. Kurt agreed to have his dad over to the house. Donald showed up to the house a few times unannounced. But Kurt was too ashamed to open the door for he had been using that day. These surprise visits by his father, not a good idea. Kurt, most of the time, was high. So his dad knocked on the door and Callie, the nanny, Or uh, his buddy, Dylan, would answer the door. And his dad would be standing there. And Kurt, behind the door, going, I'm not here. Weird, the friend thought. (laughs) Here's his dad standing there, Kurt standing right behind me. And me telling him, "Um, yeah, he's not here. Come back another time. He just couldn't face him. Being high. And I want to bring up his dad for the last time. I talked about him a lot in the first two episodes. Mostly the first one. You know, we talked about Kurt's childhood and the divorce and how Don was and Wendy. How they reacted off of each other and how they made the kids uncomfortable, just like any marriage. Donald really did truly want to connect with his son. He didn't just leave him out to dry. Kurt held a lot of resentment towards his father for not keeping the family together. You're my dad. You're the man of the house. You didn't make this happen. He blamed his dad a lot for his unhappiness as a child. He did. And now that he was getting older, seeing how things really are, and how he himself, Kurt Cobain, was considering divorce himself. Realized that Don may not have been such a bad guy after all. And that being a parent is fucking hard. Just wanted to go ahead and put that in there. Kurt was backing away from everyone in everything. The band was over. He canceled the shows and stopped practicing. Police were called by Courtney to the house because she claimed 
he locked himself in the bedroom with a gun and threatened suicide. The cops came and saw Cobain walking around the yard looking a little embarrassed. He told them he had no gun on him and never said anything about suicide. I just wanted to get away from Courtney. She was yelling at me. So I locked myself in the bedroom. The cops ended up taking some of his guns, though, just to be safe. And then Courtney later admitted that she didn't see him with a gun. Not at all. But she was concerned about his safety. Bullshit. Kurt was now pretty much living in cheap motels after that incident. And an intervention was planned out, and he was pissed. I guess Kurt and Dylan had just gotten high. (laughs) They just shot up, went downstairs, and were faced with an intervention directed towards Cobain. He was just in a bad way. Leave me alone, Kurt said. You are all doing this for yourselves, not me. People at the intervention were company people, business people, people that live off of his success. He even laid into Courtney, who threatened to divorce him if he didn't get help. I was planning to leave you anyway, he said. You're more fucked up than me. In every way. They all had no right to judge me, he thought. They all wanted him to continue his career for their own gain, and he knew it. Kurt just wanted to get his life back. He wanted it back. He was so confused. What to do? Kurt got himself completely wasted on drugs the next day and nearly died again. This last one scared him a little. So he decided to give rehab another try. Even Chris Novoselic drove him to the airport. Chris explains that Kurt was having second thoughts and tried to actually jump out of the moving car. When they got to the airport, Kurt was yelling and screaming at Chris. Let me go. So sad. And Chris Novoselic remembers chasing him down in the airport while Kurt punched hit at him, kicked at him, and told him to get the fuck away. Let me be. Chris drove home weeping and thought, I may never ever see him again. Kurt was emotionally spent, yes. Addicted to heroin, yes. But his stomach issues actually cleared up at this time. And he had it in his mind to get himself going on the right path. He entered rehab for a 28-day stint. He didn't stay long, though, and decided to head for home. The rehab facility was in Los Angeles, so he had to fly back to Seattle, made all the rearrangements, told the uh, limo company 
Don't pick me up in a limo. I just don't want the scene. He even left Courtney a message. She was in her own private detox center slash apartment, whatever. She found out. He left the facility and made inquiries. She even made up a story that she overdosed so he would call. She canceled his credit cards. The rehab center, right, said that he had jumped over the wall when he left. Wasn't necessary because the front door unlocked and nobody standing guard. He did it to make a point. I don't need this. I'm jumping the fuck out of here and going home. And on the way home on the airplane, he actually sat next to uh, the bassist of Guns N' Roses. Pretty cool. Saw a documentary about him, too. I think his name is McDuff. Don't quote me on that. Didn't write that down. Fascinating guy, actually. They sat next to each other on the airplane the day he left the rehab center. So this guy's talking to Kurt right on the plane and later says that he did notice Cobain seemed sad, a little out of it, but for the most part, you know, he was okay. He just thought he looked sad is all. Uh, So when they got off the plane, the guy met a friend there and thought, why don't we have Kurt hang out with us? Would that be okay with you? And the friend said, of course it's okay with me. So I guess the guy turned around to get Kurt to come with them. But he was already gone. Gone. So close. Who knows? Maybe that would have saved Kurt's life. Him uh, hanging out, right? Now, the rest of this story is fucked up. Lots of miscommunication on where Kurt is. uh, When they see him. But this we do know. Mr. Kurt Cobain was found dead on April 5th, 1994. This death is curious to say the least. Kurt was always deemed to be suicidal, right? I mean, Kurt, he's just a suicidal guy. Always was, right? Always. Right? I'm not so sure about that. After my research, his closest friends remark that he did not display signs of suicide. He was on drugs, yes. Unhappy, sure. A lot going on. Uh, yeah. The only person professing this is guess who? Courtney Love. She placed this idea into the heads of police officers and private detective Tom Grant. Oh, wow. Let's talk about Tom Grant. If you don't know this, Tom Grant was hired by Courtney Love when she found out Kurt had jumped over the wall of his rehab facility. Okay, let's go ahead and back up just a few notches. Kurt is pretty insistent in his mind. Okay, they're done. Courtney and Kurt are done. Nannies in the house have been interviewed and have stated that the weeks before Cobain's death, it was really getting bad in the house. The fights were just really bad. And the the nanny was just so upset. 
by everything, she had to quit. She said she lasted three weeks there and she couldn't take it anymore. She explained how Kurt was so sad and that Courtney was domineering and just ruined him, belittling him. He could do nothing right. Nothing. Nothing at all. He could do nothing. He was worthless. And they always talked about the will. The will. Money. The will and money. What's going on with the will? Cobain wanted it over, man. Over. It was done. Courtney knew it. She fucking knew it. Why did she hire this private detective? Well, they'll say she wanted to find out where Kurt was. Um, okay. If she was so concerned about Kurt, why didn't she get off her ass? She was at a rehab center. And uh, this Tom Grant guy, when she called him up to, you know, come on over and talk to me about Kurt and where we can find him, he walked into this place. It was like a hotel room. He said they were smoking in there, doing drugs. That was the most fucked up, weird facility for drug detox he'd ever seen. She was just all over the place, stoned, uh, going on and on about meaningless shit. Canceling his credit cards. Uh, She explained that Kurt was so stupid, he couldn't even hail a taxi cab. And that canceling the cards would make him return home. And then they can find him. So this detective guy, Tom Grant, was so suspicious. Everything so fishy. Her story, so not believable. He told his partner, who came with him, Listen. I've done cases like this in the past. And I told myself, if I ever came upon a case that looked really fishy, I was going to document everything. Everything. And he told his partner, from now on, we're taping every conversation with Courtney on the phone. Or wherever. We're taping everything. Documenting everything. Signing it. Authorizing it. Because this doesn't seem right to me. And I got to tell you something, folks. You can hear recordings of Courtney Love with this guy, Tom, talking about shit. She's talking about, and I guess this was right before Cobain was found, like a couple of days before. She's going on and on about how her band is going to be releasing her album and how she should rig the press and make it seem more valuable to her in how she can manipulate the press. And she was throwing things out there to this guy to get his reactions. Well, if I say this to the press, you think it would do good? You know, she's like, you know, bad press is good press just for anybody. Like Michael Jackson, she laughs. Why is she t- it's always money with her? Always money. She was pissed that Kurt didn't do Lollapalooza. He was, you know, missing out on millions, whatever. She was pissed about that. She didn't care about how Kurt was feeling. She wanted him to do the show. Because she's like, you know, they asked me to do it. But I didn't do it because, you know, they would think that I got there because my husband. And You should hear her talk. I mean, it's quite, it's cringeworthy. She's more concerned about her band, Kurt. That's the way I took it. Okay, so here we go. Before I get too heated about this whole thing because it really does upset me the last days of his life are shrouded in confusion uh 
People spotted him at <clears throat> at restaurants, uh, you know, eating dinner, uh, looking dazed out of it, uh, seen in front of shops, things like that, uh, probably scoring drugs. And I want to get back to the fact that his friend Dylan purchased that shotgun that would take his life uh, before he went into rehab. Courtney claims that when she phoned the police about the fact that Kurt left rehab, she says to the police, he escaped, he just bought a gun, and he's suicidal. Not true. Why would she lie? She's setting something up, folks, because Kurt bought that gun weeks before, and he bought it for the sole reason, for protection. Uh, There were break-ins around the area, and uh, the house itself didn't have a fence. So people would, like, come up to the house, and did in the past. This shotgun he bought was mostly to scare people away. Uh, If he wanted to kill somebody, he would have bought a fucking rifle, okay? But this shotgun... Okay, he bought it for protection, to scare people away. Kurt loved guns, by the way. He had a fascination with them, owned a lot of guns. This was nothing new, nothing at all. Why is Courtney saying these things? Because people say he wasn't suicidal. He wasn't talking about suicide before it happened. Uh, Dylan Carlson, his good friend, said, you know, he was shocked. He signed no signs to me that he was suicidal. His best friend. Kelly said the same thing. And even their attorney. That Kurt and Courtney. Were very close to. Rosemary her name was. okay. Rosemary Carroll. They were both very close to her. Even she said. In a taped interview. With Tom Grant. She said Tom. I'm just so confused. Kurt wasn't suicidal. He wasn't. You know in this same conversation too. This attorney, Rosemary, because Kurt phoned her. They were in contact before his death that he wanted his will changed. He wanted Courtney out of the will. He was fucking done with her. Done. And may have said that to her. You're done. You're out of my will. This is like, she would have been ruined. Well, not ruined. I mean, she had a band of her own whole, right? It wasn't a bad band. It really wasn't. And they had... A uh, successful album and uh, some decent songs, man. I, I listened to them. They're all right. Uh, a buddy of mine went to their concert, enjoyed himself very much. But um, if Kurt would have taken her out of the will, which she planned to do, she would have lost a lot of money, plain and simple. I mean, just think of the money that Kurt Cobain is worth even today. His daughter, Frances, doesn't have to work a day in her life, man. And if she has kids... They're going to be fine too, you know, and I apologize for my yelling. Okay. Uh, Looking into this thing, uh, doing the research that I did, found out things that were very fishy, people, Uh, disturbing, fishy. This private detective that she hired was uh, concerned, taped everything, and uh, Curtin Courtney's lawyer, Rosemary told this detective, Tom, in a phone conversation that was taped, she didn't know this. <laughs> and neither did Courtney, by the way, with all these phone conversations she's having with Tom. She didn't know that. 
that Tom was recording her because it's illegal to record phone conversations. But this detective felt that if he was brought up on charges, he would have taken that risk because he would explain why. And he had evidence to support it. Tom Grant said after Cobain was found dead, he was there. He saw everything. Felt at first, uh, you know, suicide. Okay. Okay. But it just bothered him, the whole thing. So he looked into it further. Didn't make up his mind yet. And decided after seven months of research that there was a conspiracy. And he felt it necessary to go public with this. He didn't have to. What's in it for this guy? To be ruined? Because his credibility is now in question because of this. He had a sparkling credibility uh, in his profession as a private detective and a cop. No dirt on this guy. He is not a conspiracy guy. I did research on him myself. Nothing of anything concerning that. He's doing it because he knows something is wrong. And feels that when Kurt committed suicide, that's what they're saying, there were admirers of Cobain that were so heartbroken by it that they themselves committed suicide. And it continues today. People that admire Cobain take their own lives. It's sad but true. And this detective thinks that if I can prove it wasn't a suicide, I might save some lives. How about that? No one ever looks from that angle, do they? This death is weird, man. Just think about it for a moment. I've heard podcasts about Kurt Cobain. I shake my head. And especially at this point, at this fact, okay? Cobain took three times the lethal dosage of heroin into his body at that time. Three times. And there are podcasts out there I hear. They say, oh, Kurt was such a heavy user that, you know, even injecting that much heroin, he'd still be able to pick up a shotgun, steady it, and blow his face off. Really? Huh. And they back it by saying, oh, they did tests on it. And I looked this up. Okay, this test. This test was uh, administered in a lab. And it was taken orally. Different. Totally different different results from taking something orally with heroin and injecting it. Plus the fact, and get this, there is not one other case ever in the history of the world ever that has a suicide with the person that committed suicide taking three times a lethal dose of heroin and moments later shooting themselves dead. Not one other case. Can you believe that? Hmm. Interesting. Think about that for just a moment. Let that sink in. Kurt Cobain did heroin and if he was going to commit suicide overdose on drugs and die it would have been because he just took too much dope 
and he would have just blissfully passed on. And that's probably what would have happened to Kurt if he didn't stop, most likely. But to pick up a shotgun, wow, and blow his head off, steady it, like that. What a weird way to fucking end it all. Shooting yourself in the face with a shotgun. And from people that knew Kurt, okay, said he wasn't suicidal at that time. The uh, suicide note. Boy, is this questionable. Oh, boy. First off, it is believed this note was written. God only knows how long before this suicide. Supposed suicide. Okay. And it reads like a farewell letter to his fans. The first, the big portion of it. If you look at this suicide note that he left. Uh, the big portion of it is Kurt going on and on about his displeasure, the fact that he's losing his uh, vision in his heart and all that stuff in his music. And he's thinking of taking a break. And he really was. And he was apologizing to his fans in this letter, you know, in that he felt bad about it. It didn't say anything about death. Uh, he said that he was a, a flaming shootout star or something like that. That's a, a rock term that's used. Okay. But at the very bottom of this note, okay, there is writing that looks different from the top part. And I know people are going to say, well, he just shot himself up with heroin. That's probably when he shot himself up and it is, it's writing's all fucked up. Oh, okay. There is a possibility of that. I get it. But you can't deny that the writing on the bottom is bigger, different, and just odd. Kind of separated from the other part of the note. And here is a bit of information that a lot of people don't know about. That I will now reveal on my show. Kurt and Courtney's lawyer. This uh, Rosemary lady, she was around. She was very involved in their situation. She was her lawyer, for Christ's sake. She heard both sides, plus the fact that she was personal friends with both of them. She felt something was up. She was very uneasy about this. Called up this detective, Tom Grant. They talked on the phone. This is recorded. She says, uh, I would like you to come over later. I have something to show you. Um, Courtney left her bag over here the other day. I went through it and I found something quite disturbing. Tom was intrigued, went over there, and discovered that Courtney Love in her bag, okay, had pieces of paper where she was practicing writing like Kurt. This is true. This is highly suspect. Highly. And makes you go, hmm, doesn't it? Who benefited from Kurt's death? Uh, Courtney did. We all lost 
an idol, a brilliant musician. Francis Bean lost a father. His friends lost their friend. Think about it. I do. And it really makes me wonder. Think twice about how this 27-year-old wonderful artist, confused soul, died that day. Wow. Thank you, Kurt Cobain, for changing the way we listen to music. Um... The way we wore our clothes, felt about, you know, your music, that time period. Uh, you really changed things. And, and for someone to do that, uh, change a genre the way he did, or someone that's talked about as much as he's talked about, is quite important. And it's important to me in this show. I wanted to talk about him. Got very heated in this episode. I knew it was going to be edgy. I didn't know how loud I would get. I'm surprised I'm still able to like talk right now. Very emotional for me. And I'm not saying 100% that Courtney Love had anything to do with his death. Okay? But I am saying this. If Kurt Cobain... Took his life that day or night, whatever, by injecting large amounts of heroin and then deciding to write a letter while completely, completely ripped. I hear when you do heroin, as soon as you shoot it up, you feel it immediately. He had the time to write a note. This is what they're saying. Write a note. Load the shotgun. And I guess the shotgun was completely loaded, by the way. Why would he load it completely when he was just going to use one shot? That's interesting. But anyways. Took the shotgun and decided to take his life. And if that happened, and if that's true, I'll accept that. I will. But I'll also believe that Courtney Love had a big part Of his severe unhappiness. Thank you for listening to the Actors Room. My name is Jeff Tarowski. I hope all of you out there had a great day. Had a great night. And go out tonight. Live it up. Go to a movie. Stay in. See a movie. Enjoy yourselves. You deserve it. It's been a week. It's been a day. Go out, treat yourself. Go to a nice dinner. Call up a friend. Hang out. Talk with them. Get your dreams out there. Talk about life. Laugh. Have a drink. Live. Feel. Appreciate life. It's hard out there. It's really hard. Life. We try to smile as much as we can, don't we? But it's rough out there. 
no matter where your status is in life. Whether you're a, a lawyer, a doctor, a nurse, an accountant, a janitor, someone working at McDonald's, a garbage man, someone that works at Xerox, a manager at a company, anything at all. We all have our shit. And we deal with it how we can. With art, movies, music, literature, poetry, paintings. Go to the art museum. Appreciate great art. It's not easy for these things to be made. It takes time, effort, blood, sweat, and tears. The actor's room is about art and life and how we deal with life. Talking about these wonderful people. Kurt Cobain, an important rock star to know about. Thank you. God bless you. Have a good one.